I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. The GA Hour is sponsored by Paddy Power. For exclusive content from their GA ambassadors and other high-profile contributors, check out news.paddypower.com. I'm not finished yet. It took me a long time to get here. Both parents have, have spoken with each other and, uh, and they regret what happened. They've had a frank discussion with each other and they're, they're both of them are keen to, to now focus on getting back to their county jerseys. That these fellas will get such a shell shock next Saturday evening that we'll put them back in their houses for 10 years. Welcome along to the football show. Conan and Keane are with me here in studio. Lads, it's the, it's the weekend of the draws. So we had four draws this weekend. And I remember last year we were saying that if you bet 10 euros in every game that weekend to be a draw, you'll probably end up at this time of the year up money because how many games are there? 16 games. So 160 are down. So the four draws, they're like 8 to 1. So you could have made money out of Paddy Power just taking our advice. There's loads of draws at this time of the year. And these systems, these systems that are taking over the game now, because we have Cork at it. Who else do we have at it? Roscommon, you at it this year. And we've won drawn, more. Oh, well, Fermanagh have always been there. <laughs> they've drawn twice now as well. They've drawn, they've drawn twice. <laughs> there you go, just back Fermanagh. So that's it. So there's been six draws so far in the league and 14 games by uh, three points or less so like I mean we know the league is very competitive and that teams are obviously when you separate them into the four divisions that it's obviously lends itself to more competitive games one game that wasn't competitive was the Dublin uh, Galway game in Croke Park lads and really think that this Croke Park League thing has to end now because when this kicked off right do you remember when it kicked off was it around 11 or that or 8 I or 9 I thought there was a massive game Tyrone oh, Dublin under was lights because yeah. Tyrone won in 08 or 09 yeah. then this yeah, is I when think it all Tyrone was all Ireland champions so under lights, Dublin I'm fairly sure yeah. and we had some brilliant first games of the league back when like Dublin weren't the top team and like they were brilliantly supported Saturday Night Live massive crowds and you'd actually get surprised Kerry played them as All-Ireland Champions it would be always the All-Ireland Champion that played them and it was fantastic atmosphere it's not like that anymore now Dublin are hammering teams it's a procession in Croke Park Croke Park has maybe 25,000 the crowd is lost in it there is no atmosphere Uh, often obviously the way Galway played and Dublin will play you at your own game so the game doesn't even have much excitement in it and in Croke Park 
it just it, like look at the Super 8s last year when they didn't have much end, like they weren't great games but it just highlights stop it just play them in Parnell Park yeah and Parnell Park actually having played in league game there before is the atmosphere can be unbelievable yeah. even though it's a very small attendance it's just at the pitch the, the, the crowd is so close to the pitch that you're always going to get that really sort of intense atmosphere and that always helps the game always like, and the I, players feed off oh, that energy yeah. like I, I've played in some like sparsely attended games in Croke Park and they're, there's nothing worse like, no. they're brutal you can hear everyone on the pitch talking to each other It's it, it definitely impacts upon the game and even more so at this time of the year at least when I was doing it it was in the summertime. at least you know it was warm at least but yeah. it's bloody miserable for Freezing supporters cold. and players yeah no atmosphere to buzz off no cheers and then the game doesn't lend itself yeah. to the crowd well, yeah, I think involved. once the novelty wears off I think anyone who's going up there to play their first game against Dublin and Croke Park or whatever it is is like oh this is brilliant but after you've done it once or twice it's like oh god this is rubbish like you'd rather be playing in a provincial venue where there's a bit of bite to the whole thing and there's a bit of atmosphere and that actually helps both teams not just not just Dublin so look at it's what could you say about the Galway Dublin game really I know we're going to have to talk yeah, about we'll it we'll talk but about it but it, just on the Croke Park thing because I don't think Cro- they're even making money out of this because it is a need the talk is that they need more than 30,000 to break to over break even or something so it's the, do you know the whole thing of this it's to promote GA in Dublin and it's to get more Dublin fans in to see the game but that's that's not a re- that's not a reason to do it like Dublin County Board need to step up here and build themselves a stadium because that 30,000 in a 30,000 Cedar Stadium last night's match would have been a lovely showcase yeah. for a league game and like Parnell Park if you're talking about promoting it for Dublin GA fans I guess right in the middle of all these clubs and stuff it'll be a great venue I know it's not massive but it's like the numbers for, for a you game see. Like that. Dublin fans don't help though by going Season behind tickets. they go behind Hill 16 and make the stadium look even worse like you know so most of them are camped in behind and they're taking pictures of it and the whole stadium looks empty from where they are yeah. there was three games yesterday as well at least you're playing live the ladies matches on and then by the time Dublin Galway are there like the whole place is probably empty yeah don't don't <laughs> remind me of that uh, leash game but I got sent this yesterday on Twitter and it's from a Dublin fan he seemed to be genuine enough Wayno I think his name was I don't have the actual Twitter account printed off so he said this is a, a Dublin fan I understand that you don't want to turn people away I understand that a Parnell Park is a small venue I understand the benefits financially it can have when big crowds are watching league games I understand all the arguments but at this stage I don't give a flying fuck maybe it's a bit rich and maybe I've been spoiled watching Dublin for so long and I appreciate other county teams and their fans would just love one day out in Croke Park but I'd rather watch Dublin in a full Parnell Park than tonight at Croke Park. It benefits no one if the attendance aren't even reaching the mid-30s at Croke Park even themselves breaking even. I'd rather see Dublin play every one of our league games away now than play even one game there. I resent a place during the league and I should, be, I should love the place. Ultimately though, I don't see it changing and ultimately there... I'll be there come hail rain sleet or slow cheering on this phenomenal team like I strongly believe that would Dublin fans want to go to an empty crow park there with no atmosphere like Dublin fans are are built around like their whole DNA is atmosphere and, and mm. the whole thrill of supporting Dublin and they the team buzzes off that and the supporters do too yeah well it's just a less enjoyable experience when it's uh, when it is so bare like I mean think about it a party in a room that's too big for the people attending is, is always worse <laughs> so yeah. that's basically it's the same concept that's the reality of it and Jim Gavin said after the game lads he says that Dublin are just getting into pre-season right like which is unbelievable this is quote and I quote just getting into pre-season and he says this is another quote we did very little work this week so there was a bit of freshness in the legs today so you read into that and say 
they ran the shit out of them or did serious strength and conditioning before the Monaghan game. They did nothing to keep them fresh um, this week. Like, I don't know. I just think it's terribly depressing that Dublin aren't even training for this league. Like, they're not. And the best well, team in Ireland because know, it's it, not at a good time of the year for it. Yeah, absolutely. And it's... It was kind of obvious watching the game at times you'd see like James McCarthy on a couple of occasions looked absolutely shattered. Not like himself, you know, he was harmlessly enough trailing after a Galway man or, you know, keeping, but he wasn't the same energetic presence that you're used to. And he's been, he's only just back from injuries, done very little training. It just shows how incredible these guys are that they've done practically no work and they're still able to compete with a Galway team who have, look, I'm sure they've, done, them. they've done less than last year, but... Yeah. I mean, they're still training longer than Dublin are, I'm sure. We'll talk briefly um, about that in part two as well. So Armagh unbelievably threw away a lead yesterday. So I'm reading reports about this and this is just bizarre. So they're four points up after 69 minutes. And I think Armagh have some issues with this because they did the same thing with Kildare last week. And I remember Leash going up and I think they were five points down in injury time two years ago and, and end up beating Tip, them I as think well. Tipperary uh, in Ra- Division oh, 3. Quinn Living yeah, got the late goal. So this, is, this uh, yeah. is a problem. Stopped them getting promoted. Stopped them, <laughs> stopped them getting promoted is right, yeah. It was a complete, I think, yeah, it was a brilliant goal by Quinn Living. So Armagh have issues closing out games. And there's no doubt about that. But Jamie Clark received, received a straight red card, right? So in all the reports, he swung back an elbow. So McGinney was a little bit pissed off about this. He says a man got sent off for what looks like another man just uh, holding his face and going down. The reason I put this in is because Aidan O'Shea did the exact same thing in Mayo Tyrone yesterday. So he's being tackled from behind. He threw his arm back and I think he got McKernan in the face or was slutting one of the lads. Aidan O'Shea didn't even get booked for this. Now, I think you should be entitled to if you're getting fouled. They know what they're doing in that situation. They're throwing their arm back almost like they're f- just f- you know uh, he's trying to shrug him off I, like I didn't, see, I didn't off, see, see the know, Jamie Clark one so like, it's unfair it's, to it read like you know. it was the same thing yeah but the, the Aidan O'Shea thing there was absolutely nothing in that no I mean, he was being held but he still he, caught him in the face uh, yeah but with his with the back of his hand or something he's trying to shrug him off it wasn't like a like a bent elbow 90 degree yeah. proper elbow that you swing back like a flailing arm yeah it was just back trying to it's very difficult when a guy is actually pulling out your arm or your shoulder actually get him off anyway I mean if you swing with your elbow you're not going to get him he's too far back so yeah. he's, he's just swinging his arm to shrug him off no there was absolutely nothing in the Aidan O'Shea thing but whatsoever. I would think there, there should be nothing in the Jamie Clark thing either because if it's, a, it's an arm oh, if, if, it's it's the a same, if it's the same thing then yeah. he's, he's very hard done by absolutely yeah there's no doubt so Tuberty scored two sidelines <laughs> it's almost comical so they're four points up two sidelines drew the game one sideline was a point get it back to three they got another sideline the sideline went straight, straight into the net like I mean <laughs> that's just bizarre stuff it's just bottle stuff now it's when you start to sort of questioning this now like as a, as a period goes on you be like oh can they close this out and it'll start becoming a thing for them I think before the Tipperary game as well there was a a game against Louth or something like that where there was a last minute equaliser and when you look back on the season it's like well if they had won that one they would have went up but it got down to the temporary thing so this is happening a lot now for Armagh like, yeah. and this will be a question Yeah apparently that was a great game um, according to Aidan O'Rourke on Twitter um, that's ex-Armagh uh, player because it doesn't now surprise well, Claire, 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 Claire do play great, nice football lovely and football and Armagh do yeah, too so yeah. that's the, that would be no surprise to anyone um, another one here boys is very interesting and the fellow JP Miner brought my attention to this on Twitter so I sent a text or two around to find out a little bit more about it so this, there's a serious problem with the sin bin here right serious serious problem because 
in the period of the game where you think it should be most effective i.e. 60 minutes you're down to 14 men for the last 10 minutes which should be an awful uh, you know disadvantage Roscommon went down to 13 men for two sin bins on 60 minutes right so in that time they made two substitutions and two players were down injured for one was for over three minutes the ball was in play this is coming from the Monaghan side now they said the ball was in play for about two minutes and 30 seconds in that 10 minutes what happened on 70 minutes the board goes up eight minutes of injury time to make up for the for the, the time wasting Roscommon have back to 15 men for the eight minutes like isn't that incredible and they win the game so like I mean this sin bin cannot work under the current I didn't realise this was the situation so the ref it's just 10 minutes it's, very it's not 10 minutes <laughs> yeah. of playing time no, that's, that's wrong because rugby that's unbelievable it, it's unbelievable really. that this will be allowed to go on because rugby obviously <laughs> their, their clock stops on every incident so it's 10 proper minutes but of course the GEA just goes 10 clock minutes like <laughs> <laughs> I'm struggling even to get my head around that one that's just that's just fundamentally wrong I mean it's, it's no it's no wrong. penalty at all in no. that case I mean we, we all know what to do now yeah. if someone if someone on your team gets a re- gets a black card just lie down injured for 8 minutes yeah, yeah. yeah. now do, do, like we've talked about this shot clock a lot lads so the clock is it's in the women's game and the hooter goes off the end there's none of this referee grey area well the referee's the only person in the whole stadium that knows when this is is stopped it has to come in along with this or this sin bin can't work this this clock in the stadium that stops on every incident and everyone is aware of where we're at in this game yeah the, the only thing I'm always I've been pro that anyways yeah. yeah well I think definitely for delays with injury it has to it should be stopped I think yeah. yeah with rugby it stops all the time anyway regardless of simbins so it might be a bit more difficult maybe oh, you always, reduce it, it does always yeah but so I'm it's easier to manage for a simbin maybe you just reduce it to 5-6 minutes but it's stopping for every injury as Keane says yeah no but I'm saying that's what it should do so the clock anytime anyone's down injured that clock in the main stadium has stopped until the mm. referee blows continue so it's not about Sinbin. Sinbin just happens to fit in with it. You oh, know what I mean? So yeah, it's not, yeah. We're not saying bring in a shot clock just for the Sinbin. Bring, for bring in a shot clock full stop because people are tired of this extra time from referees. And the amount, eight minutes the going amount up of injury it. time in the last number of years has just been incredible. There's 20 seconds for of substitutions and, and now there's six yeah. subs on each team. So so every, like, every game is 80 minutes, but it's not really 80 minutes. <laughs> no, no. And like, I mean, I, 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 I think this can work. And I think that the Sinbin is unmanageable without this coming in. Yeah, I'd say you're right. Would you have to reduce the time from 70 minutes to what's this ball and play no, like, time? 30, 40 yeah, minutes? Yeah, no, no, but we're not talking about ball and play. We're talking about just if there's a guy down injured. Like, you'll still have your same time wastage if a guy gets a free and takes his time over uh, the free yeah. or That's the ball not goes wide for, for a kick out or it goes out for sideline. Really, what you'd just be specifically trying to target is the likes of the, of the injuries. And then if there are substitutions that delay the play within that 10 minute period I'd say they would be the two that you would have to That would be it and the main one is the injuries because like that's the thing The main one is the injury If you're lying down and you get treatment like I mean that can't be part of a punishment for the other team The only way way it can work out is if you you basically say that any player who's injured the play doesn't stop but he he basically is carted off the field and play goes on so if you're you're going to just keep continuing on with what Mm. you're doing so it has to be one or the other because it's totally it's totally ridiculous to have a punishment a 10 minute punishment that you're only penalised for about what what was that 2 minutes 30 seconds now yeah. I'm sure that's in a, and an exaggeration that probably from, from the man inside but even if it was 4 minutes I mean you're still only getting half the penalty yeah 
yeah, know, it makes five minutes, it like makes it's no sense. It's 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 nothing short of uh, mind-boggling <laughs> to think that that would be it. But look, this is what a, it's a trial, that's what the trial and that's for, what yeah. the trial is for. So, like, I mean, there's no one saying it's going to be perfect. If it was going to be perfect, although I wanted them all in without the trial because I said these, there's no problem with any <laughs> of these. Through. These are all no-brainers. <laughs> but I didn't realize this was the situation of the, sin <laughs> the second game. I was like, oh, hang on a second, <laughs> <laughs> the changes. Jesus, right? So there was eight minutes as well in the Meet Donegal match. So Mead. Um, pretty much threw this away um, the goal was a, an awful mess up from the goalkeeper we saw that last night on League Sunday and fairness to Donegal like I mean for me to not beat Donegal the, the emotion up there and the tragedy and the, listening to Declan Bonner last night that Jason McGee was really good friends with the four fellas who tragically died and a lot of them would have known you know would have known them Donegal down a lot of first teamers Neil McGee Audra McNeilish Col- or Michael Murphy um, Michael Murphy Paddy McBrearty and Frank McGlynn that's one third of your team on nearly if you were to pick the five leaders day, yeah. if you were to pick the five leaders on your team that's it and you know it, it was a chance for me maybe to go up there and get the win and they should have probably won it oh yeah absolutely look at it at times in, in league football you can get fantastic opportunities and you sometimes need a little bit of luck to when you're trying to get promotion and everything really fell in Mead's favour you know in terms of timing to place Donegal I suppose leaving aside the, the tragedy obviously which look that's a complete unknown as to how that can impact upon upon a team you know in the week but obviously it's going to affect those guys who who, who would know them so it's it's obviously devastating for them and really Playing a game of football is not going to be even remotely part of what they're what they're interested in or thinking about in that given week. So, it was from a footballing point of view, it was a a, a very very good opportunity for me. Then they dominated the game pretty much throughout. Should have been further ahead. Concede just a, a really really poor goal defensively, um, and after that, then obviously that's a bit of a shock concede a couple of scores but still had opportunities to, to get back level and to actually win the game so look they'll be very very disappointed that they weren't able to turn it around yeah. um, and get that the win that would have been a famous win really oh, well, considering where Mead are at the moment it would have left Mead in a brilliant position yeah. in terms of their league campaign because they still have a further three home matches and I'm fairly sure one of their away matches is Cork which wouldn't be wouldn't you wouldn't be too worried about that one at yeah. the minute from a Mead perspective so to, it, it would have left them in a brilliant brilliant position in terms of their promotion hopes um, and it would have given them that sort of a, a bit of a, a margin for error whereas now the game against Armagh this weekend is a huge game for both counties in terms of if it, a win puts you keeps you in promotion hunt but a loss has you you know really thinking oh god relegation could be it, it's about uh, staying in the division all of a sudden even after three games so it's just Division 2 is just that's the way it has always been it's very much up and down and you can see that I mean Armagh have drawn two games Fermanagh have drawn two games already so it's very very interesting and competitive as it always is It definitely is Kildare when you think of Kildare you think of a team that's in really good health and you think of a Super 8 team and didn't disgrace themselves in Super 8s could easily have beaten Monaghan that day were excellent against Galway and lost that one and like I mean they were really competitive Yesterday's win away to Cork ended a run of 10 league games without a win for Kildare and prevents them from equalling an unwanted record winless streak from Kildare which was actually from 1979 to 1981. That's from Jerry McNally actually on Twitter. But interestingly in this game, so Kildare were down a man for the last 27 minutes, right? Um, And Sean White's uh, 58-minute point was the only score Cork got 
in the last 27 minutes when Kildare are down to 14 men. Isn't that a terrible stat? So Cork still haven't won a competitive game in Parky Cueve since the 2014 Munster semi-final win over Tip. Not sure how many games that is, but a lot of league games thrown in there, whatever about championship games. This is just horrific stuff. We know Cork have gone back very defensive now. To only score one point when Kildare were down to 14 men. I don't know what more to say about Cork. It seems like we're repeating ourselves a lot about Cork uh, like every year now and this slide just continues to... It's, it, this slide could easily slide into Division 3 for them. Yeah, that's what we were predicting as well, like, which we thought was yeah. mad. Like, suddenly you're Cork, Division 3 and it wasn't that long ago you were beating Dublin in Division 1. So, I don't know, like maybe like the fact that we're sort of saying they could go down to Division 3 is this part of the thinking let's just make ourselves harder to beat because we're, we are sliding the last three years so we need to do something else. Is this... Is this part of the thinking? I know it's a bit depressing that you know they would think that way and go that way, but uh, that's the only thing I can see. You go up to Fermanagh, make themselves hard to beat. Go to Kildare, make themselves hard to beat. And that seems to be the, the, the model. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it does. And like I mean, here's the thing from Kerry lads. So they, these are the Cork, Kerry, Roscommon, and who's the other one I said earlier on that have changed to these def- defensive system this year? Are they the three? They were the three anyway. I definitely remember them, Woody. They were the three. So, Kerry, here's from the match report from Paul Fitzpatrick. Um, so, this was on the GA.ie, RT.ie, and the 42.ie. So, he says, The Munster men were implying a very defensive style with all 15 players helping out at the back at times. Kerry! <laughs> <laughs> Lads! Oh, no. Kerry, Cork and Roscommon, three of our more footballing teams from last year, um, have gone to the dark side. <laughs> I know. There's very few left now. There's there, very few left that haven't gone to the dark side. There's very few left. And you know what? There's only still going to be one team that's going to win, and that's Dublin. <laughs> I know, that's the thing. And the, the next best team will be Mayo. <laughs> you aren't playing that way either. Yeah. Here's the gas thing. And, like, I mean, this I was given out in the office to Conan about this earlier on. So, no defensive teams since the Donegal 14 have beaten Dublin. Dublin are more sophisticated now. Defensive teams now are routinely beaten by, by Dublin. Right. By a significant margin. By a significant margin now. So Dublin don't even try to counterattack them a lot of the time. They just slowly build it up, knowing that they'll get through it when they go up there. You know what I mean? They don't even have to risk the counterattack, even though at the end of the game against Galway, they did it a few times. The game was over then. The only team to have drawn with Dublin in a really important match and actually should have, could easily have beaten them were Mayo. And that's going man for man. Yet no one copies Mayo. Yet everyone copies the system that continuously fails against Dublin. It's bizarre, isn't it? When you actually break down the logic of that. Why does no one copy what Mayo did? Well, it, it, I thought there was quite an interesting contrast between how Dublin... Dublin's defending against Galway in the league match the night was phenomenal. And Galway got a lot of bodies back, but they never... They were just wasn't impressive in the same way that Dublin's defensive work was. And Dublin in their defence more often than not they sometimes have spare men but it's it's generally man to man in each zone of the pitch so even out around the middle third you'll see Dublin players are tracking their direct opponent and in their defensive zone players are it's man to man most other teams bring a load of bodies back and go with a zonal defensive system and Dublin have Dublin just picked their way through that. Yeah. The only team that have, you know, really successfully gotten now, in fairness, most teams would tag a couple of players maybe man to man that they want they want that to be done with. But Mayo are the ones that over the years who have really given them most trouble. And that has been because they have gone 
man to man with them yeah. in, in the large majority of positions I similar mean, and I, they're I, made for great games I don't want to get into that too yeah, much yeah. because I, I'll keep that for part for part two I want to move on to Fermanagh who are now the new black death of Gaelic football they've taken over from Cavan who were given that I thought that Cavan were always a little bit unfortunate to get that one but it is Joe Brawley we're talking about <laughs> so the half time score in this one there's some sort of like book needs to be written about Fermanagh's first halves so it's 1-1 one, one to 2 at half time 667 supporters went into Semple Stadium to watch this game. Now, I'd say a lot of them might have left at halftime because it's freezing cold and that's what you're watching. So it was 2-5 each at uh, full time. So, like, in the opening half, none of the starting forwards scored from <laughs> scored from play. Like, this is not football, lads. This is bizarre. And it brings me back to a, a, an interview I heard last week. It was Colin O'Rourke versus Rory Gallagher. So it was on RT Radio 1 and O'Rourke... Um, came in he was one of the pundits I think it was Jackie Hurley interviewing um, Rory Gallagher and then Colin O'Rourke asked a few questions so O'Rourke said now will you try to be a bit more adventurous this year Rory and Rory's like well we set up our team he's been really political and Rory's well able to do this uh, to the best of our ability do your players enjoy it Rory <laughs> <laughs> and then would they, they enjoy being competitive yeah Colin they enjoy being competitive and they enjoy being able to put it up to other teams and what then he kept it up so you mean to tell me you'll be continuing on with this this year <laughs> Colin wouldn't let it go but this is the point I agree with Colin O'Rourke like Tomás Corrigan specifically told us on this podcast in no uncertain terms that no he does not enjoy this that, and Seamus Quigley's gone this year another forward they don't enjoy it so like I mean I don't know like I mean if getting up to Division 2 means that you and I wouldn't mind Fermanagh this is all a load of nonsense because Fermanagh were playing this same style in Division 3 and if they were in Division 4 playing teams lesser of lesser ability than theirs they'd still be playing the same stuff so it's a load of nonsense to say oh when we have to compete with the big boys there's no one would abs- this is the problem with Gaelic football this is the huge problem with Gaelic football no one would blame Carlo packing the defence against Dublin that's uh, it doesn't even come up for debate of course you would you're nowhere near their level you have to try and stay competitive why would you play the same tactics against a team that you're arguably on the same level with and turn the game into a farce and have both both teams playing defensive counter-attack football when they could easily beat each other playing really attractive football this is and this is the copycat nature of Gaelic games and it's gone completely sweeped right throughout the country and it's because it's an amateur game I think where teams can't come on the start of the year and say against them we'll play this way against them we'll, play. we'll have two clear distinctive game plans they, because they're amateurs and managers in, in their defence are at work all week they don't have time to do this have, have all this work they're struggling to get one game plan down From we know Gaelic footballers are trying to spend 30 hours a lot of that's spent in the gym in the winter months you've got no light you'll only have a bit on a shitty pitch on a Saturday or Sunday to try and work through things so they're trying to get one done but logist- logically not logistically but logically why on earth were two teams of equal standard packed defences against each other explain it to me Keen. you're our senior analyst here no genuinely because <laughs> that's the frustrating thing here Nobody complains of defensive systems. I'd rather see Carlos stay competitive with Dublin than seeing Kerry versus Clare last year, for example, in the Munster Championship, which I was bored at half time. It was just not worth, not worth talking about in a similar manner. Why are these teams of level ability in the league when you have four distinct, distinct divisions? They're four 
divisions of equal or close enough standard? Are we seeing predominantly defensive systems with the exception of Claire Armagh, you know, or of, of Mayo we'll talk about in part two. Why are we seeing this? Like, Well, the players on the field are doing what they're being prescribed by their respective managements and what they're working on all the time. That's just the way it is. Um, if if players in the, in the privacy away from it were being offered a, an opportunity to talk about what way they'd like to play, I'm sure they'd all have a different view. Um, you know, on every team you you play with, everyone will have a different opinion on who should play where and what tactic you should use for a given game. Look, that's what the managers are in place to do. I don't really understand why teams play the way they play. I uh, like uh, the defensive styles that these teams play. It's copycat. Well, it's branded. Pa- part of it has to be an element of that. Sometimes it is down to the the type of player that you have in a given county. Now there are there are some counties who like. If we're to take for money, just given population and everything, they have they have a much smaller pick, which means that rather than them playing the the style that they they currently play, and that's fair enough, that's their own prerogative, and best of luck to them. Um, but to me, it's a it's a bit of a travesty that players like Tomas Corrigan and and Quigley, who are clearly very very talented footballers, that. That they are not that they that there's an inability to to bring them along with with the group in in that type of a scenario where they're just sickened to the whole thing, um, and Tomas Corrigan has you know has pretty much said that and he, you know that's that's a trend that he's had for a number of years and I've seen him play I've seen him play in a league game against me that centre forward and absolutely destroyed us he was brilliant like absolutely brilliant really skillful player but players like that need a platform to play, you know if you're playing in a forward line with one player up or two players up. It's impossible. You can't, and there's no enjoyment actually to be gained from that. As as a player who plays in the forwards, there is absolutely no enjoyment. The game is torture. Training is more enjoyable than that because at least you get the, you get to touch the ball in training and you, you get to kick the ball and have a few shots or whatever yeah. the case may be, or go for things. Whereas there's definitely an element of over coaching in terms of everything being prescribed. I don't know why they go defensively because. It doesn't work. Here's my point. Th- it's I don't been proven it doesn't work. I don't think it's coaching. I think there's a lack of coaching. This is the problem. People think bringing five forwards back to help your defenders is coaching. I think that's brain dead. I no, think well, that's I, so I, easy. But listen, no, listen. Well, Willie, I think it's, it's more than just defensive stuff. It's the fact that every single team practically plays a running possession-based game. That's a problem with the game, that's not a problem sweeper, with every that's team. That's because there's sweepers in defensive systems. You have that, to play I, that I, game. I disagree with that. I, just because there's a sweeper there doesn't mean you, you can't kick the ball. There's more than you, one sweeper. It means though. you just don't kick the ball to him. Like, if you're a good enough kick passer, you can hit you can hit a 10 or a 20. You know, you can hit a 10 metre square space or 5 metre square space from 40, 50 metres. Of course four, you can. If there's 14 in there, like in behind the ball, you're not going to get, you're not going to yeah, have no, a kicking I, game then. I accept that, but that's only when it's delayed that far. If you're that slow bringing the ball up the pitch that you're allowing the opposition to get 14 men behind the ball, that's, that's it. a different thing. That's it. And Mayo that's showed, a totally different exactly. thing. Exactly. Mayo showed that up. And here's one point I want to make on it before we finish up here. How, if, if you need that many men back to keep the score down, then before 2011, when there was no defensive systems, sure, surely every game finished 5.30 each. Like, what happened defence defending man on man? I remember the All-Ireland Final 2013 Dublin and Mayo was 15.13. How is that not a turkey shoot? 
How is every All-Ireland in, in history not a turkey shoot when it was six backs versus six forwards? The reason is because teams used to defend man on man and they weren't high scoring games. You could have games back then without packing the defence and it could end up 13-11. Why was that? Good fecking one-on-one defending. It can be done. Your full forward line mark, full back line mark from the front. Half back line don't even have to follow their men into midfield. One can stay back and sweep. You don't have to f- mess up the whole structure of your system, of your of your shape to suddenly be good defenders. Or else what happened defenders 20 years ago, 10 years ago? How were they good defenders? Because they were just good defenders. You don't need to have 15 in there to be a good defensive team, no? Well, I think I think the one thing that probably has, look, it's the single biggest factor really is that the the players that are playing at inter-county level now, just conditioning-wise, their, co- their, their ability to cover the ground at speed is just far and above what it would have been. 10, 10 or 20 years ago and that means that you have cornerbacks and halfbacks that have an ability to, to do repeated high speed runs up and down the length of the field which means that they have to be tra- if they're not tracked like it's the same as every overlap so you know these support runners if they're not tracked they're going to steamroll through a team so that has a the, the net effect of that is that players forwards on the opposition team have to have to go with those runners. Ah, yeah, that and it ends it up, up yeah. and, and that kind of changes the shape of the game. So, I mean, teams that don't have that physical capacity to go with these runners tend to just say, well, I'm going to have to run back after them anyway, so I might as well get goal side earlier in the move. So they end up just jogging five or ten metres ahead of that player all the way back into their own defence. And that's that's part of the problem that has, that has changed the thing. That, or it's just the evolution of the game. So... I think that there's a there's a lot of teams have tried to find or some well when I say a lot of teams some teams have tried to find a sort of a a hybrid between a more traditional based kicking style of play and one that has running power in it which would Mayo are probably like in an open game of football where you have Mayo up against Dublin it is quite, more often than not over the 70 minutes it's quite an open game with a lot of man to man contests and there's plenty of kicking and there's plenty of transfer of the ball fast when you have a team that wants to play that way and they come up against a, a, a team that, for their own reasons, choose not to play that play that way, it's a totally different type of game. And you have that where Dublin have had to learn to play outside this screen. But Dublin have Dublin can do that. Dublin are the one team that can do that at their ease now. They, you know, I don't know if Mayo are there yet when they come up against a really defensive team. Can they win a game like that at their ease? I suspect that over the course of this league campaign, if they come up against it, I think they'll struggle initially, but then they will eventually break it down because I think James Horan will have them coached in such a way that they'll be making good decisions. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about May on our next. Just quickly, Brendan Murphy wore three different Carlo jerseys yesterday, three different numbers. So he wore number eight to start off with as usual, went in, got his arm strapped up at halftime and picked up a jersey that he thought was his and it ended up being Paul Broderick's number 13 jersey and he got injured in the warm-up. So he comes out in the second half wearing number 13, Brendan Murphy, and he plays on for a few minutes until Carlo management and the linesman realised this lad's wearing 13 and then gave him a subs jersey. So there's an interesting random, it's not even interesting, is it? <laughs> but the reason, I want, the reason I wanted to mention that is because Carlo had a brilliant result again away to Westmead, which is a really difficult place to go um, Cusick Park. And I saw a video of the last minute free that they weren't given. So it was a hand pass across into midfield and Sean Murphy comes bursting onto the play as as he always does. And he's clearly fouled from behind. 
and falls forward and the referee just blows it on. Like, I mean, it's a draw at the time. Referees bottled those calls. Like, I mean, Westmead did have a few chances to have won it in the... There was no score in the last 10 minutes, but Carlo clearly had a free that would have won and been a real famous. And Carlo could have been almost thinking of promotion if they had a won, yeah. had a won away to Westmead in, in there. And that's taken off them for a referee that bottled the decision because he wanted to kind of, you know, keep this as a draw and keep everybody happy. Do keep you know me out of it, sir. Keep me, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is really disappointed. All right, we'll come back next and we'll talk about Mayo. He goes, if you boys are doing God's work, you can do whatever you want in the field. And I kind of, for me, that was a, that was a free pass. <laughs> so, so when you say Mickey takes it to another level, what will he be doing this week? Uh, an extra deck of the rosary. <laughs> you know, Tyrone or Queer Hawks in the final, and a hawk is a queer bird. All right, so how good were Mayo yesterday, lads? And, um, like, I mean, this was just fantastic. And it would really just, I don't know, it, I was in a good mood watching it. Some of their moves, some of their support play, just they were decisive. The one thing I, about Mayo is that when they were on the attack, they made the attack count, right? So they're a lovely little ball into Andy Moore and a lovely sh- sh- offload, a point. Now, we saw that loads of times. It was like Kerry at their very best when they're playing really slick football. Lovely little diagonals on the passes. Everything you think of about Gaelic football, the way it should be played, was just brilliant. And the thing about it, though, is they were so decisive in their attacks. When they attacked, it, it, the move ended. When the, not often did you see Mayo yesterday get the ball into attacking zone and recycle it back out. Then the move's gone. Tyrone are back in then. Mayo made it count they did everything at pace everyone had support there was options for everyone running and this is a huge credit to James Horan for for the short period of time he had them their half back lines rampaging again it's like the old Mayo under James Horan on the evidence of yesterday we, we can't really use the Roscommon game because it was a bit of a farce with the weather but on the evidence of yesterday this is Mayo back to their to James Horan um, in his first time with them, yeah, I thought they played really nice football. They um, lots of kind of nice kick passing, changing the point of the attack. I thought their movement up front was really good at times. Uh, Jason Doherty, I thought, had a really good game again. Just he plays that link role in the half forward line really well. Where it's it's a really it's a kind of an unsung role where he's the he's the first receiver from from the half back line or, or the defense coming out the field and he generally wins it out on the out near the sideline under a lot of pressure and has to just recycle the ball and then try you know it's not a sort of a glory role where you you you, you get a few scores out of it um so it's a very difficult position to play and he does it, he does it particularly well for Mayo and he's he's a massive player for them really uh, to to give them that platform because he gets them that 40 meters up the pitch a lot quicker which frees up then runners to come off him again which just increases the speed with which Mayo can transition from defence to attack. Um, thought Aidan O'Shea at centre forward really, you know, he was 
he was I think Matty Donnelly was trying to pick him up but he really, yeah. really got the better of him uh, he did battle. he worked and very hard I say he was very good yeah but I thought his kick passing was really good yeah. as well more often than not it was very very accurate and it opened up the play again where he was receiving the ball you know sort of in the, in that middle third of the field and moving it with the foot when he could when but the option was moving on moving it from wide in yeah, the field yeah, into the centre so then yeah. the fellow who gets it in the field options left and right yeah, absolutely. like those balls from the wings into the middle area of the field and you see it with soccer as well if they pull one instead of crossing it just pull one across in front of that D on the soccer like that opens everything up either side yeah. as well like I mean it's not rocket science but the, the Mayo the Mayo uh, there was a point on 12 minutes O'Shea to Durkin to Love Little Diagonal Ball to Moran who offloaded to Reap who offloaded to Tracy and it was a She's the two wing forwards. We'll talk about them they briefly. Did really well, yeah. really, really, really well. well, and fearless and fast, and could take long range uh, scores. That, and they were actually, always in, a, in an offensive that's position. Actually, a great, great word. From, they, they were fearless, Mayo. Yeah. Actually, and that's really what made them brilliant under Horan was that they just went out and they just went and they attacked the game. They attacked the ball. They they just had a bit of faith in themselves and went at the game. Whilst you know, obviously having a you know a bit of tactical nous as well, and in, in terms of their timing and positioning, but really to just be positive in possession and it's amazing what players and what teams can achieve when they just actually have a bit of positivity about what they're doing yeah and do it, like I said on League Sunday last night that Tyrone didn't have a full time sweeper and I don't think they had the sweeper in the shank having a role because I think Kavanagh is unique to Tyrone in that he plays that role himself to the extremities that we see him playing it sometimes I think he's too deep altogether but it's very obvious when Kavanagh doesn't play that role Tyrone don't put another man in to play that same role so that's what makes me think Kavanagh plays this role to that extreme himself. Because if there was obviously a system, whoever is in his role would play that exact system. They don't do that. But they pick Frank Burns at corner forward. And I have a feeling Frank Burns, it's very difficult to tell on the television that maybe they didn't play a full-time sweeper. But like, I mean, Mayo are going man for man. So are Mayo taking that man off them? Do you know what I mean? By following him around. It's ha- again, it's hard to tell. But Durkin, uh, Lee Keegan... Vaughan Dermot O'Connor these are waving forward what's your sweeper meant to do he has to go, you know what I mean he's to push out so I, I think without being at the game and knowing exactly what's going on off camera it's hard to tell like I'd be very surprised if Tron aren't dropping somebody back in around maybe not as far as Kavanagh but definitely back minding the house it sort of goes back to the point that Keem is making though about moving the ball so quickly that you can get forward before they get all those men back and yeah. you saw like they had a lot of opportunity because Tyrone especially Peter Hurt kicked the ball short so then it was always starting from Mayo's full back line but the first guy got the ball was just head down and bang like he just went 30 yards absolutely sprinting and the ball was kicked kicked and then they had 3-4 runners off well, what, every time yeah exactly and when you're doing that you're getting in behind the covers like we said it last week if you have you're getting in behind the retreating yes. cover yeah. if you're getting in if a team is running back towards their own goal chasing down chasing down a man or trying to get back you know, behind the ball again. They're under serious pressure. You see it, defenders start lunging in. It's panic stations all over the shop. In behind, if when teams get in behind your half-back line, you are in trouble because you're, you're all running back. You can't see where your man is if he's running with you because you have your, you're have you trying to follow the ball. Like So it's it's very, very difficult for, for defenders in that position. And that's what you want to create from an attacking perspective is that sort of mayhem and pandemonium where defenders are completely panicking it's like if, if you get turned con and I'm sure it's happened you, you you get turned and you're running back towards your own goal chasing a forward 
it's almost like if he you're going to lunge, you're going to do something, you're you're panicking, you're not really thinking with a clear frame of mind. Like so, I think that Mayo did it really well at times. And look, Tron will be kicking themselves because in the first half they they missed four fairly gilt-edged, handy scoring opportunities. That would have left them, I don't know, only a couple of points behind at half time, and it's a, yeah. it's a different game. You know, when you go in at half time, two points down, there's not a lot read the management. There's no panic in the dressing room. If you go in six points down or five or six down, all of a sudden it completely changes the mentality in the dressing room and what management are saying, and that you, you really have to chase the game. It's more of a panic. Yeah, yeah. it is. But Tyrone play, put a few nice moves together themselves, and they were trying to kick it more, but it's a bit confused. Remember, there was a lovely ball from McClure who picked out McCurry in the half forward line, who transferred to Lee Brennan, who put it into Peter Hart. Now, the difference between Mayo is Peter Hart had no off-the-shoulder mm-hmm. pass. So Peter Hart turned and shot. Now, he put it in the goalie's hands. He put two in the goalie's hands. I don't know what to make of Peter Hart. I've said this before. He flatters to deceive on so many occasions that the top players just don't tap balls on their good foot into the goalie's hands from 21 metres. They but, just don't. I don't care. Who but he's not. Look, I'll give him plenty of leeway. I think he's, look, he's a runner. He's, a, he's an attacker from deep. He's, he's out of his comfort zone. And while he's, he can be very functional and difficult to stop in the inside line, it's not, it's not his best position. But you need someone in there. Like, I mean, but I mean, this is to me, like why, you know, Lee Brennan and McCurry are winning those. But like, if, if you're going to play Hart, he should be nearly the one doing that link role and leave the leave them inside, yeah. particularly Lee Brennan. I mean, Lee Brennan, to me, he's a very skilled player. He's a finisher. He wants to be on the end of the move. Yeah. That's where, that's what he would ideally want to be doing. Now, I know he doesn't have the physical presence no. that Hart would it's have and, and that's a problem Tierna for Tyrone. McCann tried to give him a good ball there yeah, at one it's a pro- time it's, it's, and a massive, it's, it's a massive problem for yeah. them they don't have that physical presence they don't have any it's physical presence the same presence. as last year yeah. they, they haven't found someone they don't so their, their whole system now is confused because you can see them trying to kick more like Tierna McCann never would have kicked this ball I'm thinking of maybe you remember from the right half back position and he looked up they never would have given those before now Mayo will probably offer that option because they're mm. more attack minded but at the same time, they are trying to kick it. But it's interesting you talk about Mayo's tactics and moving the ball on by the foot because we actually stopped talking about that for a while because, you know, defences were getting so many men back ahead of the ball. But now that every team is pushing up on kickouts aggressively, and they're all doing that now because, again, copycats since bloody Jim McGuinness did it with Donegal in 2014. Now they've all started doing it as well. So if you're pushed up on, your, on the kickouts everyone's in positions well then outside of maybe a full-time sweeper everybody else is coming back and running back so if you run the ball you're running with you by the time you get to the 45 all the fellas who are running at the same pace as you will be at that 45 if you kick it you're beating them the race back and Mayo showed that example like Sludden, Donnelly and these lads are trying to get back but the attack has got down there before them so the shot is off before these cavalry is back in trying to slap. Like I mean, it, 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 it's just logical again. You keep yeah. talking about logic. And a kicking game works again. If you do your analysis on any of these defensive teams, right, they're pushing up in the kickouts. Let's use the kick pass. Lads. Let's get it down in that danger area before they can get back. And the one thing you have to do, you have to get the shot off. Because when they get back and you go on the outside of them, uh, well, sure then you're, you know, the, the chances of you scoring there are much lower and the chances of them counter-attacking you are much higher. Yeah. So it's in your interest. I'd spoken in the podcast before about in training using a shot clock. So you goalkeeper kicks the ball out. Lads, if you don't have a shot off here in 12 seconds, I'm blowing it up. Do you know what I mean? And you have to start that attack again yeah. and try to practice them into getting this off. And it, it kills me sometimes you see a corner forward in a one-on-one with a corner back 
and he kind of half takes him on and then runs back and recycles sorry recycles it back out to the 45 go at him and if you kick that wide I don't care because it's a better situation to kick out for them than it would be us recycling you know what I mean it's the whole mentality and the philosophy Mayo went for every one on one Keith Higgins just went for that he didn't think of recycling back out he just went for it went for the goal yeah absolutely and the the thing that worked brilliantly in that just in that particular incident whether it was by accident or design I'm not too sure but the entire centre channel right in front of the goals was cleared out I think that that's something that they have that they have worked on is to leave that zone free when you know when when the ball goes down to the wing that the centre of the field is open either for a late runner or for Higgins as a ball carrier to head into that zone because what you're doing is as a, as an attacking team there you're pulling the defensive cover out of the danger zone and if if Higgins breaks in through there and a defender has to come across and cover it automatically frees up a player coming on the loop off him so I thought at times there they made. Uh, it's hard to know what they're on because they had such a poor first outing. It's difficult to gauge where they're at, really. So you don't want to draw too many wild conclusions from, from, from one match. But on the basis of what we saw, I thought that Mayo played very, very clever clever football and exposed Tyrone through through their own good play, their own movement, not necessarily from a lot of what Tyrone would have done wrong necessarily in their own defence. Yeah, I think the kicking game is confused unless you leave enough forwards up there because there just isn't support for them when the ball does kind of go up for them. I think it's a little bit, I don't know, it's a but little you, bit... But you also need ball winners. Like Andy Moran is is brilliant ball winner and reap in fairness to him and Doherty, like they, they were showing hard for ball. Aidan O'Shea yeah. was showing hard for ball. And they were making it stick almost every time. Like that's a that's an issue at times that Tyrone have had. And they played Donnelly in full forward last year, and he he gave them something different. And McShane playing up there as well also gave them just that bit of a physical presence that you know that your smaller players or your lighter players or nippier players can play off that first receiver. And that's what they want to be doing. But Tyrone, it's just you're right. It's just a bit confused. Now, in fairness, they didn't have that personnel on the field the other day. No. So maybe that plays into it. But I don't know what they're going to do because it's it's not. You can't just say let's start kicking it more unless you change your actual system. You need your half forwards. I keep saying that you need that link. Three inside there is no good unless you have a link man. So they need to change the kicking game is no good. But we have to talk about the pass from Andy Moore to Reap for Reap's goal chance, which he should have shown more, more composure and actually maybe Stepped bounced around that or done something. Yeah. yeah. But <clears throat> more and fain to kick a point there and it's just fast. whipped it back across. Yeah. I did that once before in training. I still think in my head about it. Did it work? It was one of my greatest ever moves. <laughs> I did it, but I, I put it up into his chest. But I was running in uh, along the side. I never did, did this in a match because you need a lot of balls to do that in a match. And I went, looked like I was going to kick and just flicked it off the inside of the boot across to the edge of the square. And so I think it was Paul Lawler's chest. Now, no one else will remember this, only me, because I was so delighted. <laughs> with it. I said, that was it's beautiful. It's amazing the things you can remember when you do something good in a game. But you, you know what the, the great thing but about it is? I did this in training, not even in a game. Like <laughs> I do, and I still remember this. But Moran did this in a league game, a way to... A way to um, but you see, the difference, Willie, is when you do something yourself in a match, you've got the best seat in the house to see it as well. That's the thing. You see the flight <laughs> yeah, of the ball. You yeah. can see it all happening in front of you. Player cam on yourself. like It's the greatest <laughs> of all player cam. That's about it, lads. There's not too much more to add to that. I was very surprised to see McCurry take the freeze ahead of Brennan. I yeah. thought that was a real weird one. A real weird one bringing up that first free just because what happened? I think Lee Keegan ran across, or it was Harrison just yeah. ran. Wasn't much in that. Like I mean, but McCurry's not... Lee Brennan is a 
is much better free taker than McCurry, which I thought was a strange one. Yeah, it was a very strange one. Actually, I was disappointed because I saw McCurry and Brennan on the team sheet and thought, all right, Sharon are going to try two inside, but they weren't inside together. Like, you know, Peter Hart was in on his own a lot of the time, and it was McCurry actually who just got waltzed by with Keith Higgins for the goal. Yeah. You know, this is like, some, like probably we're on to a point somewhere. We're talking about sweepers. A lot of guys back there who aren't really up too much. No. And if you just try and go at them, if you're a bit well, fearless, like, like the, you, you can get but past like them. But like, if you think about it, like Higgins' goal. I mean, he was he uh, he picked it up. He had McCurry in front of him, and I think it was uh, it was either McClure or Kennedy, one yeah. of the midfielders, who was who looked it was a tired enough attempt at a tackle on him. So I mean, you're not up against somebody that like Higgins with his pace, like he yeah. did exactly what he should have done in that scenario. He waited up, saw who was in front of him, says, "Right, I'll have a run at this lad." Yeah. So look, it's a strange one. Like I mean, if you look at that Mayo full back line of Cohen, Harrison, and Higgins. I mean, sure, they were just bombing forward the whole time. So, I mean, it's a thankless task at times for Brennan and McCurry because they don't want to follow them more than the man on no. the moon. They'd rather stay up there. And realistically, they might as well have stayed up there because they're yeah. pointless going they back. They can't for them tackle and they don't want to tackle. And it takes, it takes all the gas out of their legs then for actually trying to do anything from a positive perspective. Whereas if you have 12 men behind the ball, like surely that has to be enough at times to close the gaps down. Well, I think it's more than enough. I don't think you. I think one sweeper is more than is just is enough, and maybe a midfielder dropping back and leave you. This is the thing. Why are you using forwards to do so much work? And I'll give you an example. There's nothing worse than playing in the forwards when I was playing, playing wing forward, which I played a lot. Wouldn't happen back then in the full forward line, and having to chase the wing back. So you chase the wing back, tackle him. He gives the ball off, whatever. You have to run back up to your position then. You take, you take, rela- now I know they're, they're super fitness levels and all, but they're still human beings. You cannot affect the game in, a, in an attacking sense if you're spending most of your time tackling and running. Yeah, correct, yeah. So if you're, you're immediately losing something. Your forwards, whose principal um, function used to be to score, are now using maybe 70, 80% of their energy working. You're going to lose something on the other side of the field. That's just, again, more yeah, kind of logic. It doesn't make sense. You let your forwards conserve their energy. What you will lose with your defence having to tackle, you might gain on the other side by getting more scores yourself. Well, the f- I, I would agree with you, actually, too. Like, uh, the thing about it is, if you are playing in a half-forward position and y- you decide, right, I'm going to play, but I'm not actually going back into my own half here. Well, the onus is on you then as a player that every single time your team turned the ball over in the half-back line midfield, you're an option. You're making but a hard run yes. and that's how you're but using your energy. that's your job, but that's yeah. how you're using your energy, which means as soon as your def- a man gets the ball, he lifts his head, he can kick it straight away to you. Yeah. Think of the pressure that takes off him. He's saving the amount of energy it would take to have to try and bloody carry the ball through and up the pitch. So there's an offset. Like, I mean, you, you can't do both. You f- like, it's physically not possible for players to do both. Like, Paul Mannion and these guys get a lot of credit and press. Oh, he's back tackling in his full back line and this. He's not doing that for the whole game. And he's not making lung-bursting sprints for the whole match back there. He spends up, down. He spends up, most down. of the game in the in the forwards and he makes a de- he maybe two, makes he might do two again. Two again. Are we still talking about the one example? Remember yes. the Yeah, yeah, the, owner, the famous <laughs> one. Now Mannion does it, but like he's following his man, but you're right. There's a big difference between that and fellas who are just a bit sludden and hart and and Maddie Donnelly. Like their GPS must be off the charts. It's constant back in place for the for the kick out. Back up, back up, kick out, back up. <laughs> 
for for God's sake, you don't even see Matty Donnelly shooting at the goals anymore. Like he's yeah. pushing on here now. Like I mean, no, he's, he's no threat. He's not impacting the game. Because no, and he's, he's an incredibly accurate player. Yeah, he's, and he's, Peter yeah. Hart the same. There's some players that the, that their skill set means that they need to be utilized in a different way. You know, and and there are players like that. Like fair, like James McCarthy, for example, is a back who drives forward and makes those runs forward and, and line breaks and stuff. But his primary function is to do the dog work around the middle of the field and pretty much let the other players play. You know, and he on occasion will make those driving runs. Mannion's primary function, Dean Rock, you re- like he gets back a bit, but his his primary function is in there making those runs because that's what his skill set yeah. is best served. He's not trying to do what Jack McCaffrey does. So you have all these copycat managers, as you're saying, cop- trying to copy them with players that just physically either don't want to do it aren't or aren't able to do it. and generally if you're not able to do it you don't want to do it yeah but that's the that that it, it, just not to talk too much more about this but that great point and this will just show you how much energy is conserved so the half forward is not running back so he's saving energy he's got those left and right runs the half back now can see him and we saw loads of examples with mayo and even the odd time with tyrone doing this give a long ball the half back doesn't have to follow that ball so he gets a rest Instead of the constant running game up and back and up. Yeah. Because you do that against Dublin, which they all try to do. How many teams have we seen? We've seen even Westmead and Leinster Finals be really competitive with Dublin in the first half when their energy levels and they're up and down. And they all get blown away in the second half. Dublin bring on six subs who are all fresh. <laughs> so, like, I mean, you're getting tired as they're getting stronger. Would you know, the only team, again, Mayo, who can stay with Dublin for 75 minutes, are Mayo, who move the ball on through the foot and are not gruelling their their defence and their attack with this like they'll, Mayo will definitely help and Lee Keegan's a bit of a machine but he's not up back up back up, you know having to do that and again I just don't understand why they're all copying each other and playing this same game when yeah, there's so lads there's so many other ways of playing Gaelic football and yeah. trust your six defenders and use your half back line to hold the half back line and not follow and use those three as sweepers Use all three because the other lads will send on their half forward line anyways and just meet them as they come back down conserve that energy and have all your six forwards to their side. There's other ways of playing. How did Gaelic football survive for a hundred years and defenders defend well before all this started? The, the, the analysis now is that you're organised in defence if you've 14 in there. Why do you have to be a good defensive team by doing that? Other te- You can defend without that and actually score more. But it's gone so skewed in one way now, it's just getting, it's frustrating. Just copycat the best teams, just copy Dublin, <laughs> copy <laughs> Mayo, <laughs> copy Cross McGlynn, Cora Finn, Crooks, the teams that win, like the best teams, copy them, like they're class, yeah. <laughs> and they're winning. Here's no, my copy, thing on this. Copy no one and no. play a game that suits the players you uh, have. Very good, actually do no, that. Yeah, <laughs> but now, they're, now they're all the defensive teams are saying that that's what they're doing when it's bullshit. But here's nonsense, the thing, yeah. it's not easy coach teams to play like Cara Finn and Dr. Crokes and Mayo and Dublin because how many more dynamics is there? I think the most basic game plan you can have with a county is get everybody back and play a, play a breaking oh, game. Play, I, don't, I don't think there's anything the ball, difficult about that. Run the ball and support. So all you're doing really is coaching a support running game. I, I'll be you're honest not with really, you. Players. You're not coaching a, and you're not coaching players on an individual basis. You're only coaching the zonal players and I don't think that's coaching. That's direction. You're directing them to stand in areas and to tackle hard. 
but coaching defenders is telling them I want you out I want you to mark from the front I want you strong in the tackle I want you uh, covering this side you know I want you actually defending against him I don't want you lunging in I want you standing him up I want you blocking and all the old basics of the game and I want you centre back to turn around and come back and double up on him when he's stranded because he's struggling for pace against him there's a whole lot of ways of, of and that's just off the top of my head Without even sitting down well, with a management team and actually planning and seeing what your players are like. Yeah, I know it's a bit of a tangent. It's not true. I'm going to make a sweeping generalisation here. But limited players make limited coaches. Like, if you're if you're limited in what you what you see and do and can do on the pitch in terms of your skill set, or the things that you see in the game or the values you have in the game, you know those basics you're talking about. There are a number of basics, but outside of that, there has to be a, an appreciation of the finer skills of the game which isn't hand passing the ball kick passing the ball is the like kicking is the is the skill of the game yeah, and catching kicking and catching and unless those skills and it's it's a risk you're every time you go for a kick it's a, because it's a more difficult skill inherently there's more risk so you have i think that the problem is you have a lot of, it's all risk averse stuff it's nobody is taking what the positive outcome can be it's always about the negative outcome of it if you if you drill in like I've played on a number of teams over the years and when you have confidence from your manager um, and and are are given the license to to play and express yourself things just happen much more automatically than this robotic thing of people having a fear of trying to do things and you end up playing that sturgid type of football that we're watching a lot of the time from teams yeah, and like that to me is inherently one of the biggest issues you have and the thing just quickly on the risk if you play a kicking game and you're getting that ball in early to Andy Moran if that doesn't go to hand all your players are goal side you're losing a ball on your full forward line which is not high risk yeah. you want to run the ball through Tyrone they'll turn you over on your half back line you're, you're on their half back line you're screwed that's the, w- the last place you want to lose the ball. So I often think actual kicking game is one of the least riskiest things because you have a 50-50 chance and if it's a good ball, you have a 80-20 chance of winning possession. If you don't win it, you're not vulnerable. You've yeah. just lost the ball at the other end of the field. Like that's You have loads of opportunities to get that ball back. Mayo tried a couple of high balls and they didn't work. Yeah, it didn't and they matter. were willing to do it. Yeah. yeah, And isn't that great? Like That direction was there and it didn't kill them. It didn't kill... Sure, Mead back in the day would just get it on in there. Now, I'm not talking 70s football. I'm talking 90s, Tolly Murphy and Graham Garrity. And a lot of the time it didn't come off. But when it did come off, Ollie was sniffing around Graham and it was a go... Think, you know, like, uh, without getting well, it well, in... Like, if you think about it, how, how would how would Stephen McDonnell and Ronan Clark have done if the ball was never kicked into him? Exactly. If McGeaney wasn't coming down the wing and, and hitting the crossfield ball into him. Like, I mean, the, you know, we can't just... Unfortunately, look, we're saying this from as spectators of the game, really, and people like that watch, like we watch an awful lot of football and go to an awful lot of games. And God Almighty, some of the worst football you see is at intercounty level. Worst, horrendous stuff because it's overcoached, risk averse, afraid to make mistakes, and it ends up in this shuffle up, up and down the field, brutal stuff. I, like I said it before. Teams playing at tactics and not playing the game. 
Do you yeah. know, instead, like th- the best games you'd actually can watch are sometimes at the lower level of club football, where teams just go out and play, play the game, play what's in front of them, play man to man, and it's wildly more entertaining. Yeah, no, it definitely is. All right, we've gone way over there, lads. We'll be back with Paddy Power performance of the weekend. <laughs> As a policeman at Garda Shikana down, down the store street, and I'm coming back out, and there's a cohort of loyal Tyrone fans still up in the stand as you come back out, and they're roaring at me, hey, Coffrey, you free state bastard. <laughs> and, and, and next thing I hear, you have no fucking jurisdiction up here. <laughs> Okay, first up, lads, has to be Fionn McDonough. 1-3 from play from wing forward. Um, an explosive type of player. Fionn McDonough only knows one way to go, and that's at 100 miles an hour. He doesn't like to maybe jog and lay it off to the back. He's going for goals. His goal was outstanding. His points. He, like, I'm, I think this lad, I'm making the call on this fella now that he's a really, really good player, and he'll be wing forward. Um, for Mayo for the championship he might need a little bit more strength and conditioning but he only knows one way he has that really important ability to be ghosting in unmarked in places like I mean think how hard that is when you're trying to keep the head down when no one's on you he can do that How, how against are you just popping up in acres of space that's not easy to do it's not easy to, and it, consistently he was popping up. So however he's doing it, I think we talked about that before, never really knew, especially when you're being hard, tightly marked. How did these lads just ghost into oceans of space? Yeah, well, I thought on a couple of occasions as well, he, where he just stayed, he stayed wide on the field and snuck in behind the cover. Yeah, it's, it's a great skill. To, it's a great trait to have actually. Now, look, it was probably some poor defending at times, but it was a really good um Really good performance from him. He's, a, is, I think he's Westport, is he? Westport, yeah. So, so Horn James would, would Horn, have had him. Yeah, would have had him for a number of seasons. But there, staying so. wide is important. Like he hugged that. He played like a wing forward used to. Like I, that's imagine when that. I did when I played wing forward. That's yeah. how you played wing forward. You wanted to get on the score sheet. You kept it nice and wide. You waited for the play to, to develop, and then you were the cut angle, in yeah. at an angle and look for a pass off your full forward. And the great thing about him is he knows Andy Moran is going to win that ball and lay it off. Yeah. So he's he's just lurking around. Not this is the great thing playing wing forward. Just pretend you're uninterested. Pretend you're uninterested. Watch the game develop. Midfield kick it in. Gone. At a, maybe go straight down the wing one stage and at the last minute cut across your man and you've got your yard on him and hopefully that is dovetailing perfectly with Andy Moore and has it and it did for him mm. and again that's a skill that you learn as a wing forward how to get that time run because you remember you have to lose a man so you have to have that done before that ball comes and you usually lose him by cutting infield you know what I mean your first run might be straight then you're cutting across and it has to be bang on I'm not going to lie lads I'm very excited about this fella Yeah it's amazing as well The sight to every time You watch the replays It was like Tiernan McCann Or McKernan Like two all-stars That were behind And struggling to keep up with him And just they just might have Switched off for a second And this was the new guy Making his debut Who were punishing Two of the, the best defenders In, in Ulster like, yeah. you know, so Great raw pace on yeah. him too Doesn't he Just has seems yeah. to have A little bit more strength And conditioning yeah, That'll and, improve too and, and in fairness to him He looks to have the frame For it as well Because he showed um, He's tall and rangy And he did show A good bit of strength as well on a kick out or won a kick out and drove away from a few men so yeah absolutely like for for a sort of a first uh, first 
dipping of the toe into the water of, uh, of, of National League it was fairly impressive really. definitely right Keith Higgins lads back to the old Keith Higgins rampaging forward corner back put uh, his marker in his pocket I'm going to make a call here and say Niall Morgan should have saved that goal he telegraphed that lads he might as well have said to Niall Morgan he bent his whole body in such a direction <laughs> that this was going off the outside of his boot into that corner am I right or wrong Niall Morgan should have known that this was only going one place now it was a bit of a rocket I will give him that but am I being overly harsh yeah. on Niall Morgan I, I was going to say give it to him just because of the drop shoulder like I just thought it was so good even though it was telegraphed it was just keepers always go that way he though, totally telegraphed the dull lads he totally like, and he's a corner backer I mean you're not going to argue or criticise him for this but Morgan should have been reading that I was actually surprised when it hit the net to be honest um, but it was look he struck it cleanly enough it he was, did strike it cleanly uh, it, it was unusual to me the way he shaped up to strike the ball yeah. it was, you, very rare you'd see a forward do you know kick it the way he did but look it worked it ended up in the net I'm not going to blame Niall Morgan he was close enough in but yeah an unusual strike but uh, a great goal an unusual unorthodox strike yeah <laughs> Niall Morgan in fairness to him scored a beautiful point from play and again this is one drawback of going man for man. You're giving them the free goalkeeper cut mm. to go up to pitch and he had a wide in the first half. And that's one thing that teams to go man for man, it's one way to counteract them. And that sends your goalkeeper up because he has to draw a man to him. Comerford in the Dublin goalkeeper goals is refusing to leave his 21 metre line. He just wants a hand pass. He won't come up. And I find that very surprising not to use that advantage that Tyrone clearly were using with Niall Morgan yesterday because he did it so many times. I suppose it's the skill set he has. I mean, it's again, Comerford doesn't look like the type of fella now who'd who'd take too many tackles coming up the field. Morgan plays outfield for his club. Yeah, he's shown a good. He sh- he has pace actually pace, over yeah. the ground, which is a massive thing. He does. Um, so the he doesn't like, lack confidence either. I think he likes the attention yeah, that a lot of goalkeepers probably yeah, but do. But in fairness to him, it was it was a brilliant score. Beautiful, yeah. Brilliant beautiful, score, yeah. Beautiful score. Um, right, Sean O'Shea, lads. So he got what was it, twelve yesterday? Ten from <laughs> yeah, play, 12. like it's outrageous. Always, I think when I think of Sean O'Shea, I think of my first season with Leash. And then you think you got over that and then you come back to second year and you're a different player. You've that year over, you're not a debutante anymore and you just have a, a confidence that now you're part of this setup rather than you're the new lad. Do you know that kind of way? And yeah, you've adapted to the level. You've really, adapted yeah. to the level and this Sean O'Shea now to me looks like a fella who's like, I'm here now and wait till we see Clifford who's got over his first year. You know, yeah. you just see a different way Sean O'Shea is carrying himself. Like when he Although I think he did this last year when he kicks those frees he's immediately organising his forward line to, to watch for the you know he's becoming just that leader which he is going to be Yeah going over and kicking sidelines as well when he wants to do it like that shows you where his stature is in the squad like Yeah did any of you, by the way, see Lee Keegan backing up McDonough when I yeah, think it was I did, Kyle yeah. Coney? Yeah. I loved to see that. That was beautiful. That was, and he ripped the jersey off. He's Coney. an expert at ripping jerseys. He's he seems to know it. where the thread is, and yeah. I'll just pull here. Yeah. And, and you know, Coney, you could see by Coney's face, I've bitten off more than I can chew here now. It didn't really because <laughs> I, I don't know what did he do on McDonough. I don't think it was too he had much. Had a shoulder in the back just after the the, the, the referee giving the free. Given, uh, yeah. That was it. But I don't know if I told this story on this podcast before. But I'll never forget my first uh, game for Leash. So it was in a league game against Mayo. I think it was one of my first games. It could have been an open up of a pitch or something like that. And I was marking Pat Holmes. And I was brought on as a sub. And when I come in anyway, Holmes welcomed me with a shoulder. But you're like, this is be bread and butter for me. So I started the verbals on Holmes <laughs> and calling him all sorts. 
and uh, like whatever way we were verbaling at each other next minute I come over here's Huey Emerson comes over lifts Holmes out of it shut your mouth with that lad he won more than you ever won <laughs> Huey just said something stupid but he opened him and I never forgot it I just thought jeez Huey really looked after me there and it was half my fault because I started the verbals <laughs> But you'll always remember Fionn McDonough will always remember that Lee Keegan came in for him in a big game like that when he. But he's also his club teammate as well. He is too, right? Yeah. yeah so yeah. so it's a big thing. So, so he's fa- used to doing it. Yeah. In fairness, uh, you would expect him to do it as well. You would expect him to do it. That's true. But still, it's a lovely thing to. Uh, I don't know. I just think it's a nice well, thing. Yeah. To well, to be fair, yeah, he wasn't going to throw in boxes. He just grabbed them and pulled them out of the way. It was harmless enough, but nonetheless, he was. Uh, he wasn't going to leave his buddy stranded anyway. Exactly. Rhino Rourke's at it again, lads. Leitrim Rising continues on. 1-3. Um, late goal. That's a great win away to Wicklow for Leitrim. We might get Terry Highland or someone from Leitrim on the show um, on Thursday. Karma Costello, lads, got six points. One mark, five from play. Took thirty or took 20 or 30 sec- 20 seconds over his mark. I knew that. Kieran Whelan put a stop clock on it last night. But I remember watching it thinking, jeez, he's going to town on this. Like, This is a big problem for referees not enforcing this because we're all f- fond of that mark but when they take that long and Costello did the two breaths and the whole idea of the mark is that you don't do your route you absolutely don't do a free kick routine for them it's meant to be almost uh, you, you a version of continuing on the play crunch, but yeah. but nobody can mark yeah. you you know not to slow it down if you get into the stage where he's doing his big two breaths and lining up sure I don't like that myself and I'm a big fan of the mark no, it's, my it's, it's too much of an advantage if you can take a bloody yes. that long over it I think yeah but what about Costello's performance last? Well, he was like, I mean he excellent. was outstanding excellent. wasn't he, he was, uh, yeah he really really was his movement was really good he drifted between the full forward line the half forward line you know covered it's hard to know where to, he was playing yeah, really he was left to right across the field really good very direct kicked some really good scores as well and linked the play too like was creative wasn't always just look when it wasn't on he was making things happen he needs to make the step up here lads it's either all or nothing with this lad now I mean do you think he will like Jim will like a new face on that forward line but where does he fit in on it that's the thing you know what I mean there's not many places up for grabs maybe a full forward position Um, you've got if you've got Rock and Mannion in there and the the half forward line is nearly set in stone Scully's continuing on brilliantly this year Kilkenny and Howard so is that no, is that extra Connor Callahan yeah, <laughs> oh Jesus <laughs> <laughs> sorry Carmack sorry Carmack we've just run through there there's no <laughs> just come on and win the All-Ireland for them again in the last 10 minutes yeah Brett, John John Heslin's back for Westmead there lads just another bit of news here before we finish up right that's all the nominations uh we're going to give it to Fionn McDonough who was absolutely outstanding and was an absolute tonic and one three from play against uh, Tyrone in Oma is not to be sniffed at so congratulations to him and we'll send him on a pair of Paddy Power lucky pants right that's always time for this week we'll be back on Thursday with another show so we'll talk to you then good luck I'm not finished yet it took me a long time to get here both parents have, have spoken with each other and, uh, and they regret what happened. They've had a frank discussion with each other and they're, they're both of them are keen to, to now focus on getting back to their county jerseys. But these fellas will get such a f-ing shell shock next Saturday evening that we'll put them back in their f-ing houses for f-ing 10 years. The GA Hour is sponsored by Paddy Power. For exclusive content from their GA ambassadors and other high profile contributors, check out news.paddypower.com.